we're finishing up a series titled Wise Up. Everybody say Wise Up. And uh, we kind of opened the series with a, with a question. How many of you in, has ever done anything stupid? Come on, let's be honest. And uh, how many of you still paying for some of your bad decisions back in the day, right? And so it was with that that we decided that we wanted to um, wise up. And so what we've been doing is we've been basically doing a, a study through the book of Proverbs. We've not been able to go chapter by chapter, but there are 31 chapters. And uh, a bulk of you, many of you here in the church, came alongside of me, and we've been reading through the book of Proverbs. So chapter a day, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there are 31 days in the month of August. And, uh, and not to mention, you needed to read the book of Proverbs since you've been living on the front side, uh, the opening gates of hell in Texas at 110 degrees every day. I needed some kind of light. Lord Jesus, are you still there? And yeah, and so he's been speaking to me through Proverbs. Proverbs literally will teach you how to make good choices. Everybody say amen. And life really comes down to good and bad choices, and we all have those choices. And unfortunately, we've deceived a younger generation by telling them that they're victims when really, no, they've made bad choices, good choices, and they are what they are. And what we want to do is help people grow, as the Word of God teaches us, by making better choices so that we can be the men and women of God that He, he wanted us to be. So Proverbs 8 and 12 says, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. Wisdom lives together with good choices. And so what we, what we found out as we dove into this book is that the word wisdom literally is a Hebraic word, chokmah. And chokmah actually refers to the creator of the earth. So God who created all things literally wove within life that we can tap into, into this realm, his wisdom pathways. So there are pathways of wisdom to get you around horrific things. Doesn't matter who's president, doesn't matter who's done you dirty, doesn't matter, you know, what money you do or don't have. Wisdom, the hokmo of God, you can tap into it, and as a result, you can navigate around the pitfalls of this life, the destruction of this life, and truly be, if you will, successful in this life. And that wisdom is from God, and tapping into to that and we see that Solomon the author of Proverbs the one who God used to write Proverbs was the wisest man on the planet God came to him and he said to him listen ask anything you will of me and I'll give it to you and he said I just want wisdom on how to how to run how to lead your people Israel and God said because you asked for that not only will I give you that I'm gonna let you tap in to my hokmah, to my wisdom the supernatural wisdom of God the, the wisdom that was there at creation the wisdom that was woven into the earth in all of its existence I've woven my wisdom and I'm gonna help you tap into it and from that point forward we recognize through scripture that Solomon and God said this you will be the wisest man to ever ever before you and ever after you obviously outside of Jesus and Solomon wrote these 31 or 30 chapters and his mama wrote 31, which is unbelievable. If you hadn't read Proverbs 31, we'll touch on a little bit. And so what we did in this series was just try to pull out some of the key things in Proverbs. that he's just talking about wisdom in this. You need wisdom in that. And we, we started with wisdom and, and friendships. How to have wise, because really our lives are made up of all these relationships. And then, and then wisdom in business last week. Like we all do business. Whether we go to a job, whether we own our own business, whatever we do, we have business that we do all throughout the day. And the wisdom that we need to walk and do that well and be successful. And today, what we're going to pull out of the Proverbs is the wisdom for family. Everybody say family. family. You can do better than that. Say family. family. 
So let's just start in Genesis chapter 1 because I want to set the premise because I also want to um, fight against the lies that are in the earth and the foolishness that's in the earth. Genesis 1 and 27. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God. I have the spirit of the living God living and abiding in me. I'm also a pastor. I'm also the lead pastor here at Hill City. So I'm your pastor, whether you want me to be or not, if you're a member of Hill City. And so as a result of all of these little truths, I believe the Bible. I believe it's the inspired word of God. I don't believe there's any fallacy in it. If he can't get his Bible straight, then he can't be God. I believe he's God. I believe if there was I believe if King James did something horrific in the translation to mess up the Bible, that God could pause life, extract it from what King James did, and restart life and us never even know about it because he's God. I believe he could take us from this realm, move us into another realm without us even knowing about it because he's God. Either he's God or he's not. Are you there with me? Say yes. So I don't really care what the philosophers say. I don't care what the professors who hate God or the agnostics say or the, are, are those people who don't believe it. I love them. God bless you. I hope you find what you're looking for. You will not outside of God. But at the end of the day, let us look at what God said family is. So in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Period. Nothing else. No extra parentheses. No other sentences. He created man and woman. He created them male and female. Are you with me today? Say yes. God blessed them, verse 28 says, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And all the married folks say, yes, Lord. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And all you single people say, come, Lord Jesus. Come on now. Yeah, hold on now. Don't don't be wicked now. Get in that marriage relationship. All right. And so I just want to point out a few, few pieces from this. It was God who created humanity. It was God who saw that Adam was alone and it wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Everything else had been perfect. And he says, it's not right. I, I didn't do that and completely like I need to. I want to do something else. And he takes, if you go back and he studies, says he takes from the side of Adam and he creates Eve or, or woman is how it talks about. And then he gives them a command to go and make babies. That's basically what he says. He, he says to them, you know, be fruitful and increase in numbers. So it was God himself who created the family unit. When I shared this about a year or so ago, I think about how we come into existence. God created that system. There's no way. You can, the foolishness to believe a theory that somehow atoms bumped into each other and created the intelligent design that we have now. All that goes into the supernatural work of a child in a womb because of the seed of a man into the, into the womb of a woman and fertilizing... And, and that seed then turns into life. It's miraculous. It, it, you gotta have. You gotta be more of a religious person to believe in a false religion to believe in some type of other theory outside of believing that God did what He said He did. He created man. He created woman, and He put them together and created a family unit. We could be spawning out in the woods from the ground. How do we get here? We could think that through for just a moment. None of you bust out of eggs that were laid on the beach. God said, I'm going to take a man, make him, take a woman, make her, I'll put them together, and they're going to make babies. And he calls that family. 
So from the very beginning, it was God's design, the family unit. It is the bedrock of our society, is family. And from the very beginning, Satan himself has been trying to destroy what God created. He hates family. Oh, I love that modern people want to call it the nuclear family. The reason why they want to call it that, because then they can, can say, that's this over here. But let's say what these other things can be as well. We're going to call these modern families. And da-da-da-da-da. you got a man with a man and a woman with a woman. you got transgender kids, and that's the family too. No, no, no. God created the family unit to look like this. And from the very beginning, every demon in hell has been trying to destroy this thing, trying to keep us from being proper family. Why? Because in family, we work in the perfection of what God created. We live in the perfection of what God created. And so wise choices in family. And, and, and I don't want to help you. I want to help you keep your family together. I want to help you to stay married, all right? And, and God has given you chokmah, wisdom to do this thing, to really keep a strong family. And we see it rooted all throughout the book of Proverbs. He keeps going back to this family stuff. And so if you can with me, write some notes. And I want to give you some of the wisdom points that Solomon, and Solomon's just doing these one-liners. I mean, two-liners. He's dropping them all throughout. He'll random thought over here about family. Random thought the next sentence will be about business. And, and so I've just tried to cultivate the best that I could grab out of all the family one-liners that he dropped and try to really give you some wisdom pieces. The first thing that he really hones in on is the value of discipline in family life the value of discipline proverbs 12 and 1 to learn you must love discipline it is stupid to hate correction <laughs> don't shout me down just reading the bible to learn you must love discipline you've never met a professional athlete who hates discipline you've never met a successful husband successful wife, successful child, successful family that hates discipline. Man, when I think about Emmett Smith, one of my favorite running backs of all time, and how they would say that Emmett Smith, once the season was over, he would still be in the gym working out. Discipline. That he had these routines that kept him from getting injured like some of the other guys who had maybe a little bit more talent, but he had the work discipline in his life. To learn, you must love discipline. In other words, you could say it like this, is that you're making your children stupid when you don't teach them discipline. Right? See, when your child sees you hating on the bosses, hating on the people who've corrected you, what you're teaching them to do is be stupid. Instead of loving discipline, say, you know what? Whether they got it right or wrong, it doesn't matter. I'll take that discipline. It's making me better. It's shining the light on me. It's helping me see some things I don't see real well about myself. We all have blind spots. You say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. And the reason why you can't see them because it's a blind spot. <laughs> well, if I, well, I don't see it. That's because it's a blind spot. That, that's the term blind spot. Ask your wife. That's why some of you won't get in small group because you don't want anybody to know about the blind spots. Because then somebody will be like, bro, what's that right there? Oh. My mama didn't do me right. You know, I mean, all these excuses that we have. Here's my little statement. The greatest gift you could ever give your family is to model discipline. The second greatest gift would be to teach them to honor correction. To honor it. We, right now, we live in a state where we hate correction. Everybody who brings correction is evil. And this is why we see the destruction of the United States, the imminency of it. Until we turn this thing around, we need revival. We need a move of God. And it starts when we go, God, I need your correction. God, show me what I stink at. Lord, I will repent. 
And this is discipline piece that we hate so much in life. And as a result of it, it destroys. Look at Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Boy, you're not going to find that in any modern child-raising book or video. In fact, we're using terms now like corporal punishment to describe discipline. But the hokma of God, the wisdom of God, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. There's another Proverbs 23, 13. It's not on the screen, but it's really similar. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. I found a very, very wise philosopher talking about this. And I just thought for a moment, I'd like you to see the, the depth of this man's philosophy and truth about disciplining kids. Play that for him for just a moment. I'm sorry, you send your kids off to, for these teachers to watch your kids, your terrible kids, for eight hours a day. The least you could do is defend the teachers when they say your kid is terrible. They're, 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 no, dude. Skyler would never. Skyler would never. He would. He's terrible. If my dad ever found out about me, disrupt, he would come up to the school, beat me in front of the class, say, I'm going to lunch. If he does it again, y'all hit him. <laughs> Bro, we, I mean, we got spanked in groups growing up, dude. <laughs> remember that? Remember, girl, I was asleep one night. Asleep, dude. I got woken up to be spanked. <laughs> Wake up, we're being spanked, all of us, oldest to youngest. <laughs> Explanation. Tell us your truth. Tell us. <laughs> My brother farted in church. I laughed. I got spanked. <laughs> Give it up for John Chris. He's a Christian comedian. You know, you should never beat your child. That's not what we're talking about. That's what the Bible's talking about. Don't beat on a kid because you can, because you're bigger than them, because you're an authority. When you go to bring the rod of correction, it should be from a place of deep love. Love for who they are and who they're going to become. Not out of a place of anger or frustration or because you saw that model when you grew up. You got beat on by, by, by a parent that had an anger issue and couldn't control themselves. I've whooped my kids since they were little and they will all tell you my daddy loves me more than any man on the planet could ever love me. Why? Because I never beat on them. I brought the rod of correction so that they could become the men and women of God they needed to be. It, hurt, it pained me. It pained me to do that. I didn't want to do that, but I cared more about who they were going to become. And it literally says, why do you hate your child that you won't bring the rod of correction? Listen to me. Don't listen to the foolishness of the philosophers of this era and those who say that this is the best way. I mean, we've been doing this foolish thing anti-spanking kids for the last 20 years and look what we got maybe we should go back to the hokma of God the wisdom of God again you should never beat on a child you should never intimidate a child or a young person that's horrible that's not what we're talking about 
And I know there have been crazy people out there living in communes. And, 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 and we've seen all these reports and all these Dateline specials. And locking them up in, in cages and beating on them and all this intimidating them. Those people need to be locked up, beaten with the same thing that they beat those kids with, in my opinion. Sorry, I repent, but still, that ain't right. You love a child. It's, not, it, it's hatred to not discipline them properly and love them and help them grow and embrace Good discipline and correction. You should get to the place where your child so trusts you that you can bring correction to them that they say, thank you. I needed that. you got to create that culture. But if you resist that as a parent, if you can't be corrected by your pastors, your leaders, you can't be corrected by the people that you work with and work for, if you can't be corrected by someone in some type of authority position, then how would you expect them to be able to be corrected? And so we model. I always say it like this. You preach what you want to be, but you reproduce what you are. And so you got a kid that, you know, you go to pick them up from our, our nursery, and they're like, oh, please take them quick. Please get out of here. Dear God Almighty, you're reproducing something, and it's not what you wanted to reproduce. So, so you don't throw me out of the church. Here's the second one that uh, he really hones in on, and that is honesty. Boy, he talks more about honesty. Look at Proverbs 11.3. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Good people are honest. Godly people are honest, even if it hurts. We've now lived, I don't know about you, but I don't know who, I, I don't trust anybody anymore in the news media. I don't know who's lying and who's not anymore. We've made it a value system to lie if it gets us ahead. We, no. It's hard to find people just straight up honest. I did that. Yeah, hey, I'm leaving a note on your car because I bumped into it in the parking lot and scratched your bumper. I don't know about you, but if I buy a new car, I am not parking at Walmart up close. It's way out, way out there by the 18-wheelers because I don't trust anybody not to scratch it. And at least tell me about it. They won't even tell you. Why? Because we now have cultivated a culture of dishonesty. Dishonesty is how we get ahead. Our salespeople have to tell half-truths to try to make the sale. It's a broken system. It's not working. And again, honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a 70s, 80s kid. Um, but by the 90s, there was a great TV show that came out. Anybody remember the Cosby show? And I thought there was a moment in the Cosby show that taught a real good lesson on this. And I want to play that for you as the Huxtables uh, catch Vanessa in a lie. Go ahead. Play that right there. Did Rudy tell you I was going to be late? Yes, she did. Good. Why'd you move the couch? Well, we heard on the news it was going to be a snowstorm. We decided to watch it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> I heard a car. Who dropped you off? Kara's father. Oh, that was nice of him. Yeah, we had a lot of fun on the way over here. He turned up the music and was singing along with us. He's uh, a great guy. Uh, yes, he is. So you've been at Kara's house all night? Sure. Remember I said I was going over there to do algebra with her? Good night. Uh, hun, do me a favor. Will you pass me the telephone so I can call Kara's father and thank him for dropping you off? Oh, you can't. Uh, I beg your pardon? You see, on the way over here, the car was making some really weird noises, so he said he was going to take it right to a garage and get it fixed. He could be there all night. Vanessa, you are a liar. <laughs> your whole story is falling apart right before your face. And I'm going to stop you now because you are my child. And before I see you drift deeper into the abyss of untruth. 
Let me tell you that Rudy has informed us that you were with Jeremy tonight and you are grounded for at least a month. A month? I said at least a month. Might be longer. You can't ground me for a month. I won't be able to see Jeremy. No, you're going to see Jeremy because I'm going to call him tomorrow and tell him to come over because I want to see the boy. Oh, Dad, please, you can't. No. I want the boy. Dad, you're going to embarrass me. No, I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I just want to talk to the boy, that's all. Why are you doing this to me? I can make my own choices. It's my life. Vanessa, if I were you, I'd take myself up those stairs while I still have a life. Please, you can't call Jeremy. I've got to do it, dear, because it's my life. <laughs> yeah, give it up for the gospel. <laughs> Come on, it's so funny. Proverbs 12 and 22. The Lord hates those whose lips tell lies. But he is pleased with those who tell the truth. Why does he hate lies? Because our entire family unit structure is built on trust. And when you don't trust each other, when you've been lying to your wife, when you've been lying to your husband, when you've been lying to your parents, you break the very glue that holds us together as a family, trust. You break it. You, you break it down. And so God hates that. Why? Because he loves family. Why does he love family? Because he created family. It's his creation. And to watch a husband and a wife lie to each other and tell half-truths and then propagate that in their children. And the children are lying and telling half-truths. He hates it because it's so destructive to the very glue that holds us together, and that is trust. You think about it. If you can't trust mama, who can you trust? If you can't trust daddy, who can you trust? If you can't trust your own kids in this old wicked world that we live in, I tell my children that all the time. Listen to me. You're not going to lie to each other. You're not going to call each other names. I will beat the fool out of you. Why? Because we're the only ones going to watch each other's back. This family unit right here. I church people. I love them. That's my family too. But at the end of the day, you my kids. And y'all going to take care of each other. And you're going to take care of us. And I'm going to take care of you. We got to have that trust. Are you with me? Say yes. Look at Proverbs 21, 6. I'm still on this honesty thing. You still there? Say yes. Wealth that comes from telling lies vanishes like a mist and leads to death. You don't think so. You think it's going to get you ahead because you, you, know, you, you, you lied on the numbers a little bit because you adjusted over here because you told a half-truth because you didn't want to get in trouble because you didn't want the discipline. You didn't want to get called out. So you told a lie, if you will, or you lied about it. And but the scriptures are very clear. What he said, let me give you wisdom. Let me give you wisdom. Let me tell you, tap into the hokum of God. He says, listen, wealth that comes from telling lies, it vanishes. Like a mist, it's gone. One minute you got it, and you thought, this is what I needed to do to get ahead. You lied about it. You cheated on it. Or you cheated on that test. Listen to me, young people. I lied about it. I made excuses for it, and I got ahead. You thought you got ahead, but all it does is disappear like a mist. I'll give you a great example of this. I don't know if any of you guys remember Bernie uh, Madoff. Anybody remember Bernie Madoff? About 10, 15 years ago, one of the largest Ponzi schemes. It is the largest Ponzi scheme. He was a financial guy in New York, and he stole literally billions and billions. In 2009, he ran the biggest Ponzi scheme. I think it was $65 billion. He was sentenced. He got busted. He got sentenced to 150 years in prison. And he died in 2021 at the age of 82. You said, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. But let me even take it further. His wife in 2011, she was, uh, in an, on a, she was interviewed by uh, Today <clears throat> on NBC. And she said this. This is what she said. She said, um, she did not, I do not miss my imprisoned husband. 
He is the villain of all. And this is why he's behind bars. Her sons, her eldest son, Mark, 46, died by suicide in 2010. His younger brother, Andrew, died from lymphoma in 2014, and he was only 48. His entire family structure fell apart, early deaths on his children, a wife who hates him, but he had billions and billions and billions of dollars by being trickery and lying and manipulating and conniving, and it was gone in a moment, and he spent the last 10-something years of his life in in a federal prison, locked up behind bars, hated by his wife, and hated by his kids. Listen to me. Let me tell you what dishonesty does. Wealth comes. Wealth that comes from telling lies vanishes like a mist, and it leads to death. It's leading to death. You're on the wrong path. Get off the path. Tell the truth. Here's the third big thing that we see throughout, talking about family, throughout the Proverbs that he's, he's really teaching us is train up your child. He says, listen, in family units, you've got to train your kid. Proverbs 22, 6, train children how to live right and when they are old excuse me and when they are old they will not change sorry i had king james going in my mind from the last 30 years different translation train children how to live right and when they are old they will not change train them up so it's a training process some of you guys especially kids need to understand something you are now the moment you give birth to that child you're you're now a trainer that's what you do. You train. If you've ever been a coach, if you've ever been, had a coach, you ever had a teacher, they, they're there to train you. In fact, in Jewish culture, they saw the rabbis, the teachers, as more valuable than any other position, more valuable than any other, than any other position of wealth or any that could happen in culture, in, 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 in Israeli culture. And the reason that is because they recognize if you train children properly, then you'll have a legacy that continues on. But if you mistrain them, and they, and, they, and they miss out on some things, then they'll be broken and they'll literally destroy your culture. And so when we're talking about training up children, we're talking about an active participation in who they're becoming and what they're not becoming. And training is difficult. If you've ever tried to train an animal, if you've ever tried to train students, if you've ever tried to train adults, if you're a, a physical trainer, you know, a health trainer, anything like that, you know how hard it is to get people to grow past their limitations in their mind. And then, and then, so training children is a lot of work, and it takes consistency. And consistency, that's why you can't lie. That's why you got to own it. When you make a mistake, hey, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have said that to you, Mama. I just want to repent to all of you guys, and I want you to get you in this neighbor, in the living room. I'll get on my knees. I want you all to pray for me because Daddy loves you. Because what I'm doing in that moment is I'm training them what it is to repent and the beauty of it. Are you with me? When I, when I go and I, and, I, and, and I get that phone call that makes me want to cuss up side the, side the walls, I say, Can I, I'm going to have to call you back right now because I'm so mad at you that my flesh and my old sin nature is coming up right now, so let me call you back. Yeah. Daddy, why ain't you finished the phone call? Because I was about to do something, baby girl, dear Jesus, and I don't want to be that man. Oh, wow. I'm training them. I'm training it by doing it, and then I'm giving them the opportunity to learn it as well. That's why making their bed for them is crazy. Why are you making their bed? They're 17 years old. Teach them to make their own bed. You haven't trained them to do that. And so then they get married, and that woman don't want to be with them after two years because he's lazy, not letting them keep a job. Listen, I started teaching my kids from the very beginning about money and what money does. And look, you've got to go have to hustle it out there. Bought my son a lawnmower. 
a used $50 lawnmower when he was 10 years old, showed him how to cut our grass. And I said, listen, now you're going to make your own money so that you can buy your shoes and the things that you want, then video games, $100 a pop, all right, you're going to buy it yourself. Let me show you how to do it. Took him with his sister. His sister was a better salesman than he was, knocking on the door. You know, my brother cut your grass. How much you do it for, Bubba? Okay, he'll do it for $10. And they're like, $10 for 40 acres? Let's go. I'll, I'll, all day. Got this little white kid, blonde hair, white kid out there cutting your grass. It was, people were so loving it. Paid his way through college. Paid his way through college. Trained him. Trained him how to say yes, sir, and no, sir. I live in the South. Show a man respect when you look at him in the eye and say, yes, sir, thank you for that. Shows him respect. Taught him how to hold the door for a woman. Wouldn't let him get out of the car and go walk inside until he opened the door for his mama or his sisters. Trained them. Took time, took effort, took energy. Sitting at a meeting with some of you guys at a, at, a lunch, at a lunch appointment or a dinner appointment. Got my kids there. The kids are at the end of the table. And you talking, pouring out your heart. And I went, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Excuse me just a second. Get up over there. You saw that waitress just came and asked you two times what you wanted to drink. And you kept playing on your phone. I will whoop you so hard. That little lady is probably a single mom. This is probably her second job. Next time a woman looks you in the eye and asks you what you want to drink, you look them in the eye and you, you communicate to them quickly. And if you don't, I'm going to pull you in that bathroom and one will show you what the fear of God looks like. Disrespecting a, disrespect a, a, a waitress like that. That woman's working her tail off trying to provide for her family. You're not going to treat people like that. You don't treat people like that. Why do people get treated like that? Because someone didn't train them. Someone didn't train You know why there's prejudiceness? Because someone didn't train them not to be that way. That's why we got that mess. Because someone didn't train them. You still with me? Say yes. Half of what I do is untrain them what they learn in, in, in the system in which they live in. I don't care what TikTok or YouTube says. I don't care. That's a lie. If you want, wouldn't, let's go do it. Let's go see how it comes to the end of it. You got to train them. You got to walk it out with them. You still there? Say yes. Here's the fourth big piece of man. He covered this almost every other chapter. And that is the pain. I'm calling it the pain of sexual perversion. The pain of sexual, look what he says in Proverbs 7, 22. He's talking literally, he, he literally talks about sexual perversion, and he connects it to, he, he personifies that concept of sexual perversion, and he personifies it in a, in a, in a female prostitute. And he goes, and he, but he's saying her and this, and, he's, and, he, and he, yes, he's referring to like a, a female prostitute, but he's personifying sexual perversion. He says, all at once, he followed her, the sexual perversion. He was like an ox going to be killed. He was like a deer stepping into a trap until an arrow stuck, uh, struck his liver. He was like a bird rushing into a trap. He did, uh, little did he know it would cost him his life. Look at the imagery. Like a dumb animal who steps into a trap can't recognize it's a trap. That's what sexual perversion is. Messing around with people before you're married. Cheating on your spouses. All this perversion. And we live in one of the most perverted societies America has ever generated. I'm telling you. I mean, for the average age to see porn, internet porn, for the first time now is nine years old. Nine years old. Are you kidding me? Perverting their little minds from the very beginning. Do you know why none of our leaders will stand against pornography? We edit movies and put ratings on movies and on music. Why don't we do it on internet? Because you cannot stand against what you participate in. And this is why we're where we're at with the sexual perversion. And he goes, literally, it was, it's going to lead you 
to death. How about this one, Proverbs 5 and 3? For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech, again, he's personifying perversion. The perversion speech is, is, is smoother than oil. Solomon is literally telling us that it all starts, perversion starts with the talking. Are you all right? The flirting, the DMing, the texting, somebody else's wife, some other person, some other friend from back in the day, the Facebook post. Man, when Facebook got really hot about 15 years ago, you cannot believe how many women in the church started stepping out on their husbands. We couldn't believe it as pastors. We were looking around going, that sweet lady did what? She was a little frustrated in her marriage. He wasn't that romantic anymore. He's working two jobs to pay for the house and all this kind of stuff. And she's a little lonely and that guy. And she hooks up with some dude from high school who ain't got no job, but he's sitting around on Facebook talking, oh, baby, how you doing? All right, okay. Remember back in high school? Yeah, all right. Ooh, wouldn't that be crazy? Look at this video I just saw, uh-huh, and starts wrapping that wicked thoughts around her brain. And before you know it, she steps out like, that woman did what? And we had scores and scores of it in the church. We couldn't believe it. Why? Because these little secret conversations, smooth, for the lips of the adulterers will drip with honey. Her speech, and again, it's not just her, it's not, it's not uh, you know, demeaning uh, all women like this. He's saying this, this thing, this perversion thing, and he's, and again, he's personifying it in that of an adulterous person. Nobody understands the pain of it better than Solomon. Look at Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 30. He goes, excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving. But if he's caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole. I mean, we can understand the man's starving, so he stole, but he still has to pay back what he stole when he gets caught, even if he has to sell everything in his house. And this is the law in their time frame. He goes, but verse 32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He's killing himself, and he doesn't even realize it. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be Erased. Can I put this in perspective for you? The man writing this, do you know who he is? He is the son of Bathsheba. David steps out on his wife, gets this woman Bathsheba, has sex with her, kills her husband to cover over her pregnancy. The kid is born and then dies. David repents of his sin and says, oh God, please forgive me. He gets on his face. He repents. The whole world knows that the king has been an adulterer because he comes forward and he repents publicly once the prophet calls him out. He repents publicly, and God has grace and mercy on him and gives him another son with Bathsheba, and his name is Solomon. Solomon. So Solomon is the grace of his daddy's sin with the first child that died. God's given him grace. But he even says, but no one can er erase that scourge. Everybody knows about it. My daddy was an adulterer. I carry that because of what my daddy did. Because what my daddy did, everybody knows that about me. And what I am because of what he did. And what my mama did, what they were involved in, I carry some of that shame. Well, friend, can I tell you something? There is grace for each and every one of us who sins. 
There is grace. See, let me just tell you something. If you're struggling with the guilt of sexual sin, I got good news for you. God's grace is greater than all your sins. Proverbs 7, 2 says, keep my commandments and you will live. The world has made an idol out of sex and perversion, and it's left so many people damaged and disappointed. But what Jesus did on that cross, what he did for us is forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from our sins. And his word to us is the same as it was to that woman called in adultery. He looks at her and he says, where's everything? Everybody who's judging you and she says they're not here anymore he goes then I don't judge you anymore I don't judge you either now go and sin no more stop your sin get out of the habit of it but I got nothing but grace and mercy for you and Jesus brings healing to her he'll bring healing to us he'll wipe away all our tears and make us all new again he can do he can renew our purity he can renew our marriage he can renew our family he can give us a new start and a new heart through him this is Christianity. This is following the one true God. You made some bad choices in the past, and you've gotten yourself in some situation. Let Jesus heal you. Repent of it, and let's go on with God and let him heal and make new marriages of our marriages. Here's the fifth big piece that he, brought, he kept bringing out, and that was strife in families. Look what he says in Proverbs 13.10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found and those who take advice. You got strife in your home? Somebody's full of pride. Might be you. That's what he says. Where there is strife, there is pride. The root of all this strife is pride. I was dealing years ago, dealing with this couple. Both very great leaders. Very wise people. Lots of wisdom. And I'm telling you, they had more strife in their home. And the reason why is because neither one of them Neither one of them would humble themselves. Neither her nor him. They'd gotten in their corners like a boxing rink. Bella's wrong. You come to my side, and I'll whoop you. You come to my side, I'll whoop you. Well, I ain't repenting. Well, I'm not repenting. And they all had excuses why the other one didn't do what was right, and this one didn't do what was right. This one did. You know, there's a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that says, why not just be wronged and go on with your life? Why you got to hold everybody you, you wrong. You, I'm, you. Listen, I would, rather, I would rather be married than be right. Just saying. I have learned that. I just say, you know what? Sometimes you say some things, I'm like, mm. but I have learned after 30 years, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it, baby. You so right. You are so right. And about 95% of the time, she is. So see there? Even a fool can come across stupid if he keeps his mouth shut. Not to mention that God loves her more than he loves me, so she's going to make it the truth if she believes it. <laughs> I'm being silly, of course. <laughs> Listen, if you're a young person, you're a teenager, and you're frustrated in your rules of your house, can I, just, can I just help you? Listen to me, young person. Why create all the strife? You're just a couple years from being on your own. You can live however you want. You can come home at 2 in the morning. You, 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 can eat, you can eat ice cream for breakfast. You're just a couple years away. Why create, create all the strife? Just submit. Just come off the pride and say, you know what? I wouldn't do it that way. I don't really like the way my mom and dad want it done. But I live in their house. They brought me into this world. They're watching out for me. I'm going to do it their way. Why are you creating all the strife? Everybody's mad at each other in the house because of your little prideful self. Just repent before the Lord. 
and just say, you know what, I, I can do this better. I'm just not going to live like that. We had a young lady years ago get radically saved in our youth group. She had a single mom, single mom that, you know, had a hard life, had a hard life. Didn't believe in God, didn't believe in church. She might have believed in God, but she didn't believe in church for sure. And this gal started coming to our youth group. She became one of our best leaders. And, uh, and her mom was, she didn't believe in God. She didn't want, excuse me, she didn't believe in the church. And one day she gets ticked off at her daughter. Daughter didn't really do anything. She decided, you're not going to church anymore. And so she came up to the church to tell us she couldn't come to church anymore. And I mean, my first thing was like, the, the, the devil's trying to steal your family of God. The Lord rebuked me and said, whoa, 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 whoa. My scripture teaches, young people, honor your father and mother. Submit to them. If she, if she goes and sneaks out and says she's going to a friend's house but comes to our youth group, she's going to create strife in that family. She just needs to submit. And she did. She said, I'm going to just submit to it. Can I tell you? Within three, four, five months, that mama couldn't believe that this, because this girl loved our church. Her friend group had become our youth group. I mean, she got rid of all her other friends because she didn't want to run with them anymore. And she was radically, I mean, she was a small group leader, for every, had to quit all that. And she'd just go home after school and sit there, wait for mom to get home, do her schoolwork. No, no interaction with us for about three, four months. And finally, the mom got so convicted. The Lord convicted her. She came, brought her, to, brought her back to church with us. Mama came, got saved. I mean, that girl's a pastor to this day. She's a woman of God. They're passing a phenomenal work. Why? Because as a young person, she recognized, you know what? I'm not going to be full of pride. I'm going to humble myself. My mom's wrong in this, but God will make a way in my submission. Why be prideful? Why create all that mess? And now we got strife. You got strife in your marriage? Somebody's full of pride. You need to ask the Lord, is it me, Lord? What pride? Where am I got pride in my heart? Why can't I humble myself and just say, you know what, let's get past this. Let's just, let's repent to one another. That's why you got strife. That's what it teaches. Here's the sixth thing that I thought I would bring out. It's a pretty cool passage about those of us that are always in trouble. Look what it says, Proverbs 13, 21. Trouble chases sinners, while blessings reward the righteous. Trouble chases sinners. You got a kid that's always in trouble? You need to ask him, son, where you got hidden sin in your life? Because you've got an open door to where trouble can just chase you and chase you and chase you. Now, our doctrine here at Hill City is that when bad things happen to you, to you doesn't mean that you did something horribly wrong or that you're in sin. Because bad things happen to good people. That's just life. You can be living, God, living for God with all your heart, living as righteously as you know how, and just tragedy and trouble can happen. But this talks about how trouble chases the sinner. Chases it. I'll never forget, Mimi and Pop were so wise when they first got saved. I was always getting in trouble. I'll never forget, I would get in trouble at school, get in trouble at school, and I'd come home or I'd get something, do something, and get in so trouble. And every time, you know what they would do? Adam, where are you at with Jesus right now? Where are you at? Because if, if you're serving God with all your heart and you're obeying what the Lord says, you're, you're making decisions that are getting yourself in trouble because you're not right with the Lord in some area. Where do you need to repent? And they would get, I'd get on my knees and they would, you're right, I've started doing this again. I want to repent of that. And man, I'm telling you, the favor of God, the blessings would just overtake me. Get promoted in some position on the football team or something like that. The blessings of God literally is a reward to the righteous. The righteous, he will bless you. Here's the seventh one I want to bring out, and that is mama power. Everybody say mama power. 
Boy, he talks a whole chapter, chapter 31 of Proverbs, all about mama power. But let me just look, let me give you 14 and 1, Proverbs 14 and 1. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Mama, can I just help you with something, sweetheart, who's just newly married or going about to get married? You have the ability to build up your home or tear it down. I've watched ladies take some old half ability dude can't, ain't got no leadership and build that man into a man of God and walk into the room and because she done built him up and I've also watched women take a man who was a good leader good man and just tear him down to a place where he couldn't even stand to be with her couldn't even stand to be in that home you have the ability to build your home ladies that's what the scripture says a wise woman builds her home but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands proverbs 31 and 16 in fact the whole chapter proverbs 31 if you're a female if you're a woman of god you should go and read this chapter over and over and over again because it puts in perspective what a real woman of god is like and one of the pieces i pulled out was chapter verse 16 she goes to inspect a field and she buys it come on somebody with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she takes, she takes the money she made off of this deal over here, and she goes and plants a vineyard. Why is it saying the vineyard? Because the vineyard will constantly be making money for you. So she takes something that she made on a quick flip, and she goes and she invested in something that will give her a return. It will give her a constant return on this thing. And li- th- th- this is what I'm talking about. Not the old, you know, 50s concept that the little lady who sits at home waiting for her husband to get home, and she's cooked for him, and all this kind of stuff, and she's sitting there with a dress on, cooking from the oven, sweating with her makeup all on and that kind of said look 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 what the wisdom of god she goes about buying fields and she takes her earnings and she plants a vineyard she is energetic and strong come on ladies and a hard worker shalabah and verse 18 she makes sure her dealings are profitable her lamp burns late into the night sound like some of the women of hill city right there just phenomenal women of god God's giving you entrepreneurship. He's giving you the ability to build up your home and your family alongside a great man of God. That would be the perfect scenario. But sometimes you've got some single mamas in the house. They're powerful. They're powerful. They're Proverbs 31 women. And if you lack some of that, you need to go study this out. Look at verse 30 of Proverbs 31. This is my favorite piece, and I quote this all the time to the ladies in my life. Charm is deceitful. And beauty does not last. Watch the Kardashians. It ain't going to last. That's a lot of money spent. Somebody said 100 years from now when they're digging up California. My wife yelled, stop. All right, I got to start right there. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Ladies, don't fall into that trap that praise comes from just your beauty. Yeah, you should do your best to paint the barn and make it look as nice as it can. But at the end of the day, a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Absolutely. And then I'll give you the number eight for me out of all these Proverbs with the family. Number eight is be a good dad, gentlemen. Be a good dad. Proverbs 20 and 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. That's the greatest gift. I'm talking to pre-dads now as well, you single men. The greatest gift you could ever give to your children is to live righteously. There'll be a moment when you're older and your life is coming to an end. Maybe you're on your deathbed. Your children and your grandchildren will stand around that bed. What will they say of you? 
that you made a lot of money, that you were popular, or they say he was a good man. Daddy, I don't want you to leave. You taught me so much. You were faithful to Mama. You were open and honest with your shortcomings. You're a man who repented of your sins, didn't pretend to be perfect, didn't need you to be perfect, just needed you to be a good man, a godly man. What will they say at your funeral, sir? One of the members of our church, one of our leaders, works at a funeral home, and he says, you can't believe how many men die and nobody's there for their funeral, for their burial. Nobody comes. Kids hate them. Why? Because they were so busy doing something besides being a good dad. A good man. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blameless doesn't mean that you didn't make mistakes. Blameless means that there was nothing against you. Because when you made a mistake, you went and made it right. There was no blame against you. Oh, there were moments that you blew it. But there was nothing to blame you with because you owned it. I did it. And I'll, I'll repent and I'll take my licks, whatever. That's the kind of men that children want to follow. Blessed are his children after him. Proverbs 16, 10. The king speaks with divine wisdom. He must never judge unfairly. Sir, you, you're the king of your house, your home, your family. You cannot judge unfairly. Careful what you say. Don't say something in haste. Quick decisions. Pray about it before you say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to deal with it. And the last piece that I would pull out, listen to me, single folks. Listen to me, divorcees. Who to marry? He gives us a really cool piece in Proverbs 15, 17. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Dude was rapping. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Can I break that down for you? Man, find you someone that is simple and easy. All that flashy stuff, chasing after. Find you someone that you can just sit and eat vegetables and have a simple life. And there's not all this mess to it and all that you've got to, you know, she's going to have to have a big, nice house. Or he's going to have to have you in the gym every weekend or he won't. He can, I mean, he got to have a woman like that. Listen, you don't want that. You want somebody you can sit down. And what, what reason why it compares vegetables to steak? Come on, somebody. Because, you know, all you vegan, you, you're all so skinny because there ain't nothing good about that food. Versus that steak that's like what rich people eat. I mean, even in, in ancient times, they understood that, right? Like, this was costly. This would cost you a lot to get some nice steak. You can go pick this up off the ground anywhere. You know, that was kind of their concept. He said, so the simple life, the easy life with somebody that you love. Find easy life with somebody simple and easy you don't need all that wow and, and hoorah and all that mess and it's so you know you're so much drama because you got you know they high high maintenance and I'll keep the high maintenance over there and go get you with somebody simple low maintenance and y'all just enjoy a nice easy life where we serve God together we love on our children we got a family that's consistent in the things of the Lord we got a good church that we're a part of and he says this is the hokma of God for a family take that take that life and make something of it and don't get entrapped in all the entrapments of this generation and the generation in which you live. He says, just keep the simple life. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on, stand with me as we close out this series.
Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond, and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.